a short psalm of praise, but also a psalm uh, on the theme of our subject tonight. Psalm 130. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, had, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. What a beautiful word of God, shall we? Let's uh, turn to uh, the book of Ephesians tonight. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15. Sorry, 13 and 14. Ephesians chapter 1. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul, inspired by God the Holy Spirit. He says, in him, that's in the Lord Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Please keep your your Bible open there. In the 19th century, there was a a very wealthy Swiss banker by the name of Henry Durant, and he was sent to Paris by his government to work out a business deal with the Emperor Napoleon, Napoleon III. But when he arrived there, he found that Napoleon wasn't there. He was actually on the battlefront where his troops were fighting. I think it was in the Crimean War. And so he was redirected from Paris to the battlefront to speak to Napoleon. But when he got there, what he saw absolutely shocked him to bits. He'd never been on a battlefront like this before and seen the wounded and and the horrors of war, and he was deeply harrowed by it and disturbed. He saw people with open wounds, he saw people who had been maimed and killed, people whose lives would be changed forever by the injuries they received, and uh, the the suffering they were going through on the battlefield, and it haunted him. And even when he uh, had finished his work with Napoleon, he stayed there, and he tried to help as many people as he could. 
Eventually, he had to go back to Switzerland. But even after going back to Switzerland, he couldn't get these images of these people out of his head. And it stayed with him constantly. And eventually, his business, his own financial wealth just went to pot. It just went because he wasn't keeping an eye on his finances. He couldn't keep his mind on it. He was so consumed by the cause uh, of the suffering uh, on the battlefield. And so he decided he felt it was time to do something about it. Rather than making money, he wanted to save lives. He said, it seemed to me that I had something to accomplish, a sacred duty that was destined to have infinite consequences for mankind. And so Henry Durant started a work which we still know of today called the Red Cross. And that's where it began. And actually, Henry Durant became a true believer in Jesus Christ. If you've ever read the book Men of Destiny, it's a book of testimonies of famous people who became Christians. Henry Durant is one of them. And uh, I seem to remember reading in there uh, that apart from the fact that the red and white cross is the opposite of the Switzerland cross, it's also the fact that it's the cross that he was uh, pleased to put out as his symbol because it was a message of salvation. Well, when I think of that man and his, his, how he was consumed with helping those in those situations, I think there's a parallel spiritually with our great God who looked on mankind in their fallen state. In the eternity past, God could see that man would ruin himself by the fall of Adam and he and the Son and the Holy Spirit covenanted together in the Godhead to do something about this. And they came with the plan of salvation, which is revealed in scripture. And this is what the Apostle Paul has been speaking about in the opening chapter of Ephesians. He's been talking about the mighty work of salvation that God has done. God has conceived in eternity and brought to pass in time. And the wonder of redemption through his blood and the application of God's mercy. So that all can be brought together to God in Christ. And in these verses, in verses 13 to 14, uh, we have two very special verses that really lay out what Paul calls here the gospel of your salvation in verse 13. Uh, He says, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The word good gospel means good news. Um, Some people think the word gospel means a type of music, you know, that you have in in black Pentecostal churches. It's not a type of music, it's a message, it means good news. It comes from the Greek word evangelion, which is the word used there, and it's the word for an announcement of good news. It was used when the Romans won a victory and they would go and announce it in their cities, and they would say it's been good news, and it would be an evangelion. Well, this is what the gospel is. It's good news, but it's the good news of your salvation. And that's what I want to speak to us about tonight. Now, you might say to us, John, you know, this is basic stuff. And uh, we've heard this many times before. And I just want to say good, good. I'm not afraid to preach basic stuff and I'm not afraid to preach it many times over because, you know, where most Christians go wrong is not on some complicated point of doctrine. It's on the basics. And when they go wrong on the basics, it's very serious. And some people have never heard it before. And if I can make it simple so they can hear it for the first time, then praise the Lord. That's what we want. We want people to hear about salvation. The Bible calls it in Hebrews 2 verse 4 a great salvation. And God's saving work is great, truly great, and it is truly wonderful. And tonight in this room, 
There are those who are saved and there are those who are lost. You know, sometimes you hear people talking about upper class, lower class, middle class. I don't believe in those classes. There's only two classes of people in the world as far as God's concerned. The saved and the lost. Which are you? Which are you tonight? If you're lost, I want you to tune in and listen carefully to what I've got to say. Because what I'm going to share tonight will tell you the wonderful news about the salvation God has provided for you. And if you're saved... I want you to tune in with both ears and all your heart tonight so that you may take out of this room the message of salvation ringing in your hearts, praising God for it. You know, the great commentator Matthew Henry said, Thanksgiving is good, but thanks living is even better. (laughs) And that's what we want to be. Thanks living people. People living out a life of thanks to God for what he has done for us. So let's see. Uh, four things here about salvation, the great message of the Bible. I want you to see the person of salvation, the pattern of salvation, the protection of salvation, and the promise of salvation, which is revealed here in these two verses. So first of all then, the person of salvation. And this is a, a based, I'm, I'm using the New King James tonight. I realize if you're using the NIV, the word order is slightly different. But bear with me, I think you'll be able to see it there still in the text. He says, in him you also trusted. That's how verse 13 begins. Uh, the NIV says, I think, in him you were also included, meaning you were gathered in Christ. But uh, it's, the emphasis here, I believe, is on faith in the Son of God. In him you also trusted. And uh, just to, to be clear, the you there is uh, the you of the Gentile people he says you also trusted earlier on in the passage he had been talking about the jewish people in verse 12 the verse before it he said that we who first trusted in christ should be the praise to the praise of his glory the disciples were all jewish and they were the first ones but he says you ephesians you people of ephesus you ephesians you also trusted in him and i just want to draw a very simple simple point here tonight paul says it's in him You are to put your trust in him. You're to be included. Make sure you're in Christ. Jesus Christ is the person of salvation. Christianity is not a creed. It's not a code. It's not a cause. It is Christ. It is Christ. One famous preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon put it like this, and I'm paraphrasing what he said in in one of his sermons I read in my research this week. He said, if you'd met one of the 12 disciples of Jesus and gone up back in time to the 12 disciples where they were in the Bible times and the Gospels, and you'd said to them, now what do you believe? They wouldn't have gone through 50 top doctrines that they believed. Do you know what they would have done? They would have pointed to Jesus and said, I believe him. I believe in him. And my faith is placed in him. And that's what salvation is. Putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, lots of people can know a whole system of theology, but they've never been saved. Somebody has said a lot of people will miss heaven by 12 inches. The different distance from their head to their heart. They know it up here, but they've never put their trust in here in Christ. But that's what we're to do. We're to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say it is in Christ alone. 
in Christ alone. I wonder if you ever saw that film, Luther, starring Joseph Fiennes. It's a brilliant film. I think it's the best film on the life of Luther uh, that there is. And uh, the film, based on the story of Martin Luther, carries the two main characters in in the conversations in the first part of the film. Martin Luther and his saintly superior, a man by the name of von Staupitz. And when Martin Luther was coming to the realization of the gospel and the truth of salvation as he had learnt it from the book of Romans. He was talking to to von Staupitz about the need for change and getting rid of all the things that the Roman Catholic Church had. Getting rid of idols, getting rid of statues, getting rid of, 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 of saints and things like this. And von Staupitz said to Martin Luther, he said, Luther, if you get, a, get rid of all these things... If you get rid of Mary, you get rid of the saints, get rid of the statues and all the rest of it. What, what are the people going to be left with? And Martin Luther said, Jesus Christ. He said, man only needs Jesus Christ. And it's exactly right. That's the only thing that says. In him, they said, we have also, you have also trusted. John Wycliffe, 13th century Christian leader who had come from a Roman Catholic background, converted through the scriptures, said, for as much as the Bible contains Christ, that is all that is necessary for salvation. So true, so true. And the Lord wants you tonight, if you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven, you must look to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And, and he made it so simple. He took Old Testament Bible stories to teach it. He said it was like the bronze serpent. Do you remember that story in the book of Numbers where the children of Israel were in the wilderness and uh, they had sinned against the Lord and the Lord sent a plague of snakes and God said to Moses to raise up a serpent, a bronze serpent made of metal on a pole and anyone who looked to it would be healed. Well, the Lord Jesus said these words in John 3:14 and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that's Jesus be lifted up that's a reference to his death on the cross where he'd be lifted up on the cross that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life That's what the Lord Jesus said. He said it's so simple. It's like the bronze serpent being lifted up. How were those people healed of those snake bites? They didn't have to do lots of long, complicated religious ceremonies. They just looked in faith. They had to believe what God had said, that looking to that bronze serpent would save them. And when they did what God said and looked in faith, they were healed. You say, John, that's unscientific. I know. But you know what? The scientific ones all died. And those who went by faith lived. And that's what God would say to you tonight. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. In him, in him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the person of salvation. Put your faith where God once put your sin. God once put your sin on Jesus when he died on the cross for you, taking the punishment you deserve. Now you put your faith in him, the crucified son of God who rose from the dead on the third day, and you will be saved. In him 
you also trusted. I pray that this will be able to be said about every one of us in this room. I can say to some of you, in him you trusted. But I pray I'll be able to say to everyone as you go out in him, you also trusted. And if you haven't yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus, go to God in prayer. Even while you're sat in your pew, pray, God, I ask you to save me. I trust in what Jesus did to get me to heaven, not in what I'm doing. And I trust in him. He is the person of salvation. Second thing I want you to see is the pattern of salvation in this verse. Verse 13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And what we have here is the pattern, the way in which God works to bring people to faith. He tells the Ephesians that they trusted in Jesus after they heard the word of truth. Now, the word of truth is a phrase that actually comes from the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 43. And uh, it's the description of the law of God. It says, And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. But here Paul applies it to the gospel the good news of salvation and he says that's the word of truth that's the message of truth and when you heard the word of truth that's when you believed on the Lord and were saved that the Ephesians were the people who in the book of Acts had Paul go and preach there they had the apostle John go and preach there they had Timothy go and preach there they were a very favored group of people And God brought them to faith as they heard the message of salvation. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And that's God's pattern. Having heard, they believed. And you know what? That's what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17. And we need to make sure that we're listening to God's word and putting our faith in what he says if we want to be saved. Because that's how God brings people through to salvation. By believing what the Bible says as it's preached faithfully from the, from the pulpit and explained. So we put our trust not in the preacher but in the word of God. In the word that is in your Bible in black ink and white paper. That's where we put our faith, in the word of God about the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this is the pattern, this is the order. You see, you, you need to hear about the Lord Jesus to be saved. You need to hear it to know what to believe. You need to know the truth about what Jesus has done. And you get that by listening to the word of God. I came across this uh, wonderful story. I've been reading a collection of stories of God's workings over the years. And uh, one of the stories is about a a Scottish minister many years ago who had to walk a great distance to go and visit his rural country uh, uh, flock and uh, the, the, the people from his church. And in those days they didn't have cars and they had he lived near the coast and it was quite barren and quite bleak and the strong winds came in and one day he was on a long journey to go and see some people and take the gospel to a particular place and on the way a huge storm came in off the coast and he could see it coming and it was getting closer and closer and you could see the the black clouds moving in the rain coming across the field and he said I've got to find shelter quick and he saw a barn 
And he thought, I'll take shelter in that barn. And he went into that barn. And when he opened that door, he was surprised because he found a lot of men in that barn. And uh, they, were peop- they were poor people who were sheltering there as well. And they were obviously housing there and living rough there. And he, he came and he said, do you mind if I find shelter here with you? And, and they shrugged and nodded and said, that's all right. And one of them looked at him and saw his Bible and said, are you a minister? And he said, yes, I am. He said, would you do us a favor? Up in the loft, one of our, one of our friends is, is very ill and we think he's dying. Would you go and speak to him? And the minister said, I'd only be too glad to. So he went up into the loft and he found this very sick man lying on, on, this, this, on the straw with, with a very poor bed and mat. And he spoke to the man and he said these words. He said, friend, if I were to tell you that I had in my pocket a medicine that I was sure would cure you of your sickness and make you well again, would you believe me and take that medicine? And the man said, certainly I would. Certainly I would. The minister said, well, my friend, I have no such medicine to heal the sickness of your body, but I have a medicine that will most surely heal the diseases which sin has brought upon your soul and make you fit to enter heaven. I will not trouble you with any words of my own. Listen while I tell you what God has said about this in his own blessed book. And while you listen, believe the words that you hear and they will, by God's grace, save your soul. And he read that man, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saw a look come over that man's face as he realized Christ Jesus died on the cross for him to be saved from his sin. And he propped himself up on his elbow. And with weakness, though he had in his body, he said, I believe he has washed away my sin. That's salvation, friends. That was a providential meeting uh, for that minister and that man. But that's what Paul is talking about. Hearing the word of truth in the gospel of salvation and believing it. Now, I want to ask you, when you hear the truth of the gospel, do you believe it? Do you believe it? You know, when the letters, the mail comes through the letterbox, if you live in a house with other people, do you know what you always say? I guess you're like me. You always say, is there anything for me? Is that not what we say when the mail comes through? Is there anything for me? When you hear the gospel, do you say, is there anything for me? Has God got a message for my soul today? He does. He's speaking to you, calling you to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the pattern is this. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Believe the truths in the Bible about the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Third thing I want you to see here is the protection of salvation. Because the verse goes on in verse 13 in a wonderful way. And it says this. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now this is a wonderful thing. That when we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said these Ephesians had done after they'd heard the gospel. After they'd put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And they would been saved. God then sealed them. He sealed them and he sealed them 
for protection. He was going to keep them for himself. Now, this is a wonderful doctrine that comes uh, in the pages of Scripture to teach us the assurance of our salvation. And it comes up many times in the Bible. It comes up uh, again in the, in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. You can turn there if you'd like to read the word. Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Talking to the Christians, make sure you don't... Uh, Go willfully sin. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By the way, the fact that they sinned did not mean they lost their salvation. They were still sealed for the day of redemption. But they might have grieved the Holy Spirit and need to be restored uh, to God and ask his forgiveness. The fellowship may have been damaged by what they've done. But the relationship is still there. They were sealed. And uh, back in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 21. He said, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the sealing of the Spirit is spoken of many times over. And there's many pictures of this in the Old Testament uh, and in other places in the Bible. When they put Daniel in the lion's den, the king sealed, didn't he, the, 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 the door on the lion's den with the king's seal, which meant nobody was allowed to break it unless the king uh, came to get Daniel out, which he did later on. It was a, a seal. Uh, In the book of uh, Revelation, the Lord Jesus has a scroll which is sealed with seals. And they say, who can open the, the scroll with the seals on it? Who's worthy? And nobody except the Lord Jesus, the one whose right it is to open it. Because those seals mean nobody else can tamper with it. Nobody else can open it. It belongs to God. Uh, They put a seal on the letter that Jeremiah had when he bought the land uh, in Jeremiah 32. The document, the legal document saying this is secure uh, and and not to be opened and tampered with. And in Ezekiel chapter 9 we have perhaps the greatest illustration where Ezekiel in the days before the Babylonian captivity saw God's judgment about to fall on the people and God sent an angelic messenger among the people to seal those he was going to save in Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 4 he said and the Lord said to him go through the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it and uh, God said they weren't going to spare those who were engaged in the sin but those who had wept and repented over it they would be Saved because they were sealed. Well, this is the picture of what God has done for us when we become Christians. We are sealed by the work of the Holy Spirit afterwards. Now, it's an interesting thing. Harry Ironside was a great preacher of the past. And he noticed that the two books, especially in the New Testament that I've read to you today, that deal with it are the churches, letters to the churches at Corinth and Ephesus. 
2 Corinthians was where we read one of those passages in 2 Corinthians 1 and here twice in the book of Ephesians. And he noted the fact that both these towns were ports and both of them were known for their logging industry where logs were brought in on the water. Do you remember like King Hiram did down to Jerusalem, down to Joppa for the the logs to be brought to Jerusalem for the building of the temple? Well, this is what happened in different places around the world and logs would be brought in. And when a, a man, a builder, came to buy some logs to take away for building work, he would come down to the port and there'd be all these logs floating in the water kept by barges around the edges and he'd choose out the logs he wanted, the right size, and so on and the man he was buying them for he would put a mark on them and those would be his he would be marked them perhaps with his initial or something like that and they would be marked for his now they were still there amongst all the other logs but it meant nobody else was going to take those logs they belonged to him and he was coming back one day to get them now can you see that's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us in salvation. When we get saved, God doesn't say, well, good luck, hope you don't lose it. God seals us. And neither man nor devil in hell can get you out of God's hands. You are sealed totally. And now I want to ask you a question. Why is Paul saying this to the church at Ephesus. Let's do a bit of Bible study here. What do we know about the church at Ephesus? Those of you who read the book of Acts, you say it was the place of Diana of the Ephesians. Yes, it was. What else do you know about it? It was where they had the occult scrolls and they practiced witchcraft and magic arts. Do you remember that in Acts chapter 19? And we know from history, this was a place that was rife in occult activity. And many of these people had been saved from the occult. In fact, we're told that they burned their magic scrolls and a huge expense of of magic scrolls had been burnt and consumed in the bonfire when they got saved. And that's what we should all do with anything like that. But you know what? Those people would have thought to themselves, well, the Lord has saved me, but you know what? I know the devil is powerful. Am I safe in his hands? And Paul is saying to them in the book of Ephesians, yes, God has sealed you. In fact, I think that explains a lot of what he says in the book of Ephesians. That's why he goes on to say, you are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms above principalities and powers and every name except the name of Jesus. You know why? Because that's what they understood. They understood the principalities and powers. But now he said, now you're not underneath them, you're above them in Christ. And he goes on, that, and he talks in chapter 3 about the filling of the Spirit, the real power. Those who've been in the occult will tell you this, they join it because there's power. Don't say the occult is a load of rubbish. It's not a load of rubbish. It's the most dangerous thing. But it's dangerously powerful. Now, those people say, well, where do we get our power now? And Paul says in Ephesians 3, from the Holy Spirit who lives inside you. He'll give you real power, exceedingly abundantly all above all you ask and imagine. And that's why at the end of the book, what does he end with? The armor of God. And he says that you are to take your stand against the principalities and powers and stand dressed in the full armor of God. 
Because this is the background. And it makes so much sense of the book of Ephesians when you realize this. But Paul starts off at the beginning with a word of assurance. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the Holy Spirit is not only the promised Holy Spirit. Because Jesus did promise he would send him to the church. But he's the Holy Spirit of promise. The one who gives us the assurance as we're going to see in the next verse. That we are going to heaven. So what a wonderful, wonderful thing to come to the Lord and know that it's not a fingers crossed hope so salvation. When you put your trust in Christ and you're fully resting in him, you are sealed. His mark is upon you and you are secure in him. That's a wonderful thing. And I praise God for that. And I pray that will be your testimony too. Finally, we see the promise of salvation in verse 14. He says here about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit marks us out as belonging to God once we've put our trust in Christ after hearing the gospel. And he himself is also given to us and he is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, we're going to heaven. But before you go to heaven, do you know what God does? God gives you a bit of heaven now in your heart. That's what he's saying he's doing. Somebody has said, I think it was John Bunyan, he who has heaven in his heart needs not put his foot in the grave. (laughs) And that's true, because you know where you're going. And this is what the Lord says. He gives us a guarantee of our inheritance in the Holy Spirit uh, until the time when we are redeemed uh, by the coming of the Lord for his saints, uh, taking our bodies. Remember, Paul talks in Romans 8, the redemption of the body and the full work of of our heavenly hope is realized. Uh, He is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, that word guarantee there is a word, the old King James Version, called the earnest. Some people say it's the pledge. It's not the pledge. People say, maybe your Bible says it's the pledge. It's wrong. A pledge is something that in olden terms people could take back. But your earnest is something you take and you keep. Do you know what? It was used uh, in olden days. Uh, If people went to church, uh, they would get their pay at church. Did you know that? That's why churches, maybe we should get back to that. (laughs) You get your pay after the service or before the service so you could put some in the offering perhaps. you know what, sometimes as well, the boss of the factory would give people their pay on Thursday, a bit of their pay on Thursday. You know what it's like when you're getting towards the end of the week and the money's running out? He would give you a little bit of next week's pay. Now, he had no right to say, I want that pay back, because that was your pay. He'd given it to you. It was an earnest, but it was a beginning, a small portion of what was to come. If you want a Bible story then uh, think of the grapes of Eshgol. Do you remember the story of this in the book of Numbers when the children of Israel sent the spies into the land? And uh, it was a sad story because they didn't, they didn't trust God. They should have trusted God. But they said, it's a good land the Lord our God is giving us. And now they were frightened of the giants and they grumbled in unbelief. But what they came out of uh, it with was a huge bunch of grapes 
that was on, the, on a pole, so heavy that it took two men to carry it. They said it's a good land. Now, do you know what that, those grapes of Eshgol were? They were a sample of what was in that land. And what God gives the Christian is a sample of what's in that land. When you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance given to us. I have a little bit of heaven here on earth right now in the Holy Spirit. When I become a Christian, I get the Holy Spirit coming inside me. And I want you to see, if you put all this together, back in verse 13, you see the Holy Spirit comes when we put our trust in Jesus. He says in verse 13, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? He comes in at the time of conversion. Some people say he comes later on. You have some Christians with the Spirit and some Christians without. It's not true. You have some Christians who live in the reality of the Spirit and some who don't. And I think that explains a lot. But you have all Christians with the Spirit inside them because he's genuinely given at conversion if they're truly saved. And he is the guarantee of the inheritance until God comes to redeem us and take us home, as he says, to the praise of his glory. Now, what a wonderful thing. If God has given the down payment, the guarantee, an engagement ring, that's another way of saying it. It's like the engagement, the promise of what's to come. Then he is coming for the rest. And we know heaven is surely ours. That's the type of salvation God is offering. And I just want to come back to the simple stuff again tonight and say, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and look to him like they look to the bronze serpent, then this will be yours too. This will be yours too. And you'll be able to say these things are true of me. And personally, I have salvation. It's not just a church thing. It's a me thing. It's not just we've got salvation. I've got salvation. Remember, only two classes of people. Only two types of people in this room. The saved and the lost. If you're not saved by Jesus yet, come to him. Come to him now. When you step out that door, you will be either one step closer to heaven or one step closer to hell as you go home. Which will it be? Make sure you're in Jesus and you're on your way to heaven. And he'll bless you with these things. Amen.